Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you grab a seat, get a Bible open in front of you. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you'll find a, a black Bible under one of those chairs. Grab it. Turn to Acts chapter 5, if you would. And if you don't own a Bible, please leave with that one. That is our gift to you, Acts chapter 5. And as, uh, as you turn there, a uh, uh, quick question. Uh, what, what is a ripple effect? What is a ripple effect? Um, so a ripple effect is when an event or an action that happens over here at a certain place in a certain time ends up having an effect or an impact over here in a different place at a different time. That's, that's uh, what a ripple effect is. Uh, uh, to paint a picture very literally, what is a ripple effect? A, a guy's uh, fishing and a little fishing boat about 30 yards offshore in a lake. And um, um, he notices it, but he doesn't really notice it. Behind him, in the middle of the lake, cuts through a, a speedboat uh, pulling tubers. And the speedboat cuts through the middle of the lake. And then it's off to another part of the lake, out of sight, out of mind. But a couple minutes later, this, this fishing boat, 30 yards offshore, begins to rock back and forth. And they, the guy looks around. There's nothing that should be causing this. What is it? Oh, it was the boat that drove past minutes ago that's just impacting my boat now. Very practically, that is a ripple effect. And this is the image we have to have in our mind today as we turn to this part of our study of Acts chapter 5. It's the image of a ripple effect. And why do I say that? Because the Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, um, as, as Acts chapter 4 ends and as Acts chapter 5 begins, he's been telling us some things of what is going on inside the church. And by church, here's what we mean, inside this community of Jesus followers. Uh, Acts chapter 4 ends with this beautiful picture of how these Jesus followers are living together. It says they were of one heart and of one mind, and, and, and this, 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 this Holy Spirit unity has led them to live a life of radical generosity with each other. So much so that the conversations over the dinner table are, honey, what do you think about selling that field we own over there? Of Why? For what? So we can just give it to the church to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that we see around us. And you have this, this, this positive example, this, this, this um, a powerful example of a guy named Barnabas, as Acts chapter 4 ends, who does exactly this. It's a glimpse of what's going on inside the Jesus community. Then Acts chapter 5 begins with a sobering picture of, of this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, they, they appear to do the very same thing. They sell some property they own. They, they bring it to the apostles. They project and kind of put on this facade like, look, look, look at what we're doing. Here it is. Here's all of it. Here's all of it. And Peter, um, um, given wisdom by the Holy Spirit, he knows what's going on here. They're appearing as if they've brought it all. They have, they've held back some for themselves. And Peter just goes, hey, well, here's, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? He doesn't say, why have you lied to me? He, doesn't, he, he even says in the passage, so you're not sinning against man, you're sinning against God here. And Ananias and Sapphira drop dead on the spot. And again, Luke's giving us a sobering picture of some events that are going on inside the Christian community. Now, this picture of a ripple effect. As Luke continues, it continues in Acts chapter 5, here's what he's going to do. He's now going to give us a glimpse, a shot. He's going to move the camera, so to speak, to show us what kind of impact this Christian community is having on people who aren't even yet Christians. Don't miss that. If you miss that statement, you'll miss the point of this message. 
He's going to show us, he's going to move the camera to what kind of impact this Christian community is having on those who aren't even Christians yet. And here's the question it's going to raise for us today, and it's a good question. Is my life having a ripple effect among those who don't even share my faith yet? Is my life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, having an impact with people who don't even yet know Jesus. Because I think as we study through the book of Acts here, we're going to see over and over and over again that these followers of Jesus not only have a powerful impact among each other as they seek to follow the Lord, these followers of Jesus impact the communities in which they live. The way they go about living their life, ripple effects out, and people are like, yeah, I'm not really into this whole Jesus thing they're into, but man, look at the way they live with each other. Look at the way they love each other. Look at the way their life is having an impact. And here's, here's just uh, what this passage is going to do today, I believe. It's going to raise for us three questions. Three questions today. Whether our lives and whether this church are having the ripple effect with those who don't yet know Jesus that God intends us to have. You ready to ask yourself those three questions? Yeah? Yeah? You ready to be a little convicted today? And here's the deal. I'm coming at it from someone really convicted this week. Let me just straight up with you. I spend 98.7%. That's the exact percentage, okay? 98.7% of my week all with Christians. I'm so jealous of so many of you who get to leave here and all week long get to go work, go to school, go with people who don't yet know Jesus. I'm so convicted as I study this passage this week. Like, hey, Brock, um, where are the non-believers in your life? Where are the non-believers in your life? And so these three questions, man, it just tore me up going, okay, what are we going to do? about the ripple effect, the impact we're supposed to have with people who don't even yet know Jesus. Let's get into it and let's pray for it and ask for God's help to lead us in this. God, help us now. We're going to spend um, about a half hour right now, Lord, studying your word. <coughs> God, we need your help. Lord, this cannot be, and we, we pray this every week, this cannot just be 30 minutes of a talk and then we go home and eat lunch. God, your word has the power of your spirit behind it, Lord, in such a way that, Lord, if we will hear it, and, Lord, your spirit will drive it into our heart, Lord, something will change in us today. This is miraculous, Lord. And we are here right now to meet with you. We want to hear from you. We want you to teach us. We want you to encourage our hearts with your word where it's meant to encourage. We want it to convict us where it's meant to convict us. But Lord, we don't want to miss one ounce of what you have for us from your word right now. God, I pray for our hearts that walk in so distracted. Lord, we're thinking about the pacers later and the stuff that happened yesterday. And God, just please, a half hour right now, would we just set our mind and our hearts on your word because you want to say something to us. The God of the universe wants to speak to us. God, thank you for that. Why would you want to talk to us? But you do. God, please, I beg for a powerful move of the presence of God in this place right now. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Acts chapter 5, get to verse 12 with me as we pick up just this little section right here in the middle of Acts chapter 5 this morning. Remember Ananias and Sapphira, we've just seen that event. Now it says this, a quick update on what's going on uh, through the Jesus followers in the midst of the community in which they live. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done. What did that just say? Were regularly done. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now I just want to stop there and I want to make a couple points on this. All through the book of Acts, we see this, a statement like this, and we see the ramifications of this statement. That the apostles are doing, in the power of the Spirit of God, signs and wonders among, it says, the people. Luke typically, when he talks about the people, he's referencing those out even outside of the Jesus community. Signs and wonders are being done among the people, and it's the power of God on display. Now, a tradition has given this book we're studying the title, The Acts of the, come on, The Acts of the, the Acts of the Apostles. And kind of his history and tradition has given this book this title. But here's a point I want to make, and I think if the apostles were here with us in our midst this morning, they would give a hearty amen to the, what I'm about to say right now. This book in our Bible is not a story of great things done by great men. This is a story of great things done by a great God through willing men. And if you're like, no, 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 that sounds blasphemous. It's about great men. No, no, no. Remember what Peter and John said when everyone flocked to them after they, uh, they, 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 they made a, a lame guy walk. He said, why are you looking at us as if we did anything about this? Let me tell you who did this. God did this. This is a book, and this is a story, and this whole book that we hold and we study is not a story of heroes. It's a story of one hero, and his name is God, and it's all about him. And in the midst of this story that God is unfolding, he just uses faithful and willing people who are broken and messed up to write a great story of what he's doing. This is a story. When it says the signs and the wonders are being done through the apostles, this is the power of God on display. Every one of these apostles would stand here and tell us they don't want to be the hero of their own biography. They don't want to be the hero of their own biography. They want a greater hero of the biography their life is writing, and that is God. And I just ask us today, do we want to live a life like that? Where at the end of the day, and someone writes a biography on our life, that's probably not going to happen for all of us in this room, okay? Who is going to be the hero of that biography? Because these apostles aren't living, hey, I'm going to go over, go over to here and do some signs and wonders today and look at the crowd that will show up and woo. This is a story of God at work, and that's the heart of what they're getting at here. Many signs and wonders regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were, and then look, at, it tells us where they are. And they were all, I believe that refers to the apostles, not to the whole uh, church at large, and I'll tell you why in a minute. And they were all together. Um, where are they? It gives us a place. Where are they? 
they were all together in Solomon's portico. So remember, this isn't the first time we've seen this place. Solomon's portico is a, is a place, a location on Temple Mount, this kind of covered columnade, columnade area um, where often we will find the apostles, where you find the early Christians meeting when they're up on the Temple Mount area. And the apostles are here at Solomon's portico. Now, um, verse 13 Verse 13 says something really interesting now, and we have to understand who all the they's and uh, not the rest are referring to. Let me, let me show you what I mean in verse 13. None of the rest, none of the rest dared join them. Okay, that's an interesting statement there. None of the rest dared join them. What, what do I, I, here's what I think that's saying. Um, the apostles are in Solomon's portico. They're back on Temple Mount. Um, none of the rest there joined them. I don't believe is a reference to those who don't yet know Jesus. I believe that's a reference to the Jesus community. I believe that's a reference to the other Christians at the time. And I'm going to tell you why I think that. Because it's going to tell us what's going on outside the Jesus community. I don't think this is a reference to unbelievers at this point. None of the rest dared join them. The apostles are in Solomon's portico. The other Christians aren't at that time there with them. Why? Why? Uh, potentially two things we need to think about. Uh, number one, this is right on the heels of the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing. This has been a traumatic and dramatic um, um, event that's happened and God's word actually tells us what came about among the Christians after this event. Great fear, Right? Great fear was produced as it would. Great fear is produced among the believers at this time. Second point is, who remembers what happened last time there were some apostles hanging out in Solomon's portico? Who remembers? Peter and John got arrested. And what I think you have here is the group of Christians are like, hey, we're willing to suffer for Jesus thing, but... Um, we're not really like looking to go put ourselves right smack dab in the middle of potentially doing it. It shows the boldness of the apostles here. Back in Solomon's portico, none of the rest there joined them. Why don't I think that's a reference to non-Christians at the time? Because look at how the verse finishes. But there's a contrast now. But now let me tell you, let me tell you, Luke's like, let me tell you, none of the rest of the Christians there joined them. But let me tell you what's going on among those who aren't Christians yet. But the people, what does it say? The people what? Held them in high esteem. Say what? This is a reference to the non-Christians looking on the life of the apostles, the power in which they're living. And it says, but all the people held them in high esteem. What does it mean to esteem someone highly? It means to greatly respect them. You have this lifestyle of the apostles. You have this power that's flowing out of their life, creating a ripple effect of respect among people who don't even share their faith in Jesus yet. And it's the first thing I don't want us to miss, and write it down this morning is this. It's this question we got to ask. Is our life having the ripple effect with non-Christians that God intends us to? First question is this. Does my life create a ripple effect of respect among non-Christians? Does my life create a ripple effect of respect among non-Christians? In general, hear that, what I just say? No, I need you all to say this back. In general, 
in general, come back to that, in general, our life, the way we go about following after Jesus, living out this Christian life, it should create a ripple effect of respect among people who don't even yet know Jesus. And this isn't the only place in the Bible we see something like this. Uh, look at what it says in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.12 says this. It'll be on the screen. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy. This is in, in a list of qualifications of elders or overseers who will oversee the church. He, and it's just one of the qualifications of an overseer of the church. Moreover, he must be well thought of by, by outsiders. What? So that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Look at what it says in Titus. Titus chapter 2. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent, an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. In general, our life should create a ripple effect of respect among those who don't even yet know Jesus. Now, uh, what are the two words I had you say out loud a minute ago? In general. Listen. They're, they're, let me say it like this. Deep theological truth coming your way. There are always going to be haters, okay? There's always going to be haters, who just because you're a Christian, just because you have the title Christian, they're just like, yeah, don't like you. Why, did I do something to offend you? No, I just don't like you. Jesus actually warns us, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. Like, that's, that's pretty big state. Woe to you if everyone who's ever known you for all time is just like, wow, what an awesome dude. Jesus says, woe to you. There's probably not a level of boldness for the faith of the gospel in that. But in general, our lives should create a ripple effect among the Christians. Where am I getting this point? The people are watching. They're looking onto the apostles, and they're holding them in high esteem. They're greatly respecting them. So let me just drive it real, real, real to the heart, and let's just get real kind of convictional with it. At school, students of Jesus followers who are students, at school— does your life create a ripple effect or respect among people who don't even yet know Jesus? Is there an evident, is there like an evident walk with the Lord in your life that people are like, I think his faith is so stupid, but I don't really have anything to say about him. At work, listen, at work, Christian, are you just flat out like a model employee? Like, maybe you're not the most skilled in what you do, but it's like the people who you report to, the people you work with, they're like, like when everyone else, you know, like, work typically is just like a gossip factory, you know? You guys don't know that? Okay. <laughs> work is typically just like a gossip factory. Can you believe our boss? Like, he's, he just, like, throws all these commands. Like, the dude has no clue. And you just don't take part in that. And you just, like, work hard. And you don't, like, steal little things. from. Oh, that's not stealing. No, do you, do you own it? Did you take it? Yeah, that's stealing. You don't steal things from the company. Well, it's just like a comment. No, are you just like a model employee where you work in such a way that even non-Christians are looking at you, they're like, man, why, do, why wouldn't we're boss bashing? Do you never take part in this? You've got to have some good material, right? In your neighborhood, 
Does your life ripple effect out among neighbors who don't yet know Jesus? I want to hear something so cool. I love our church. Visiting someone in the hospital, the anesthesiologist walks in after and is checking on this patient and you know, someone else in the room, they're like, hey, these are some of the pastors at a church we go to, Harvest Bible Chapel. And the anesthesiologist is like, Harvest Bible Chapel. He's like, I feel like I've been like bombarded with that name lately. He's like, I think the guy who built my house goes to your church. And then like a, the people who moved in across, like directly across the door, uh, the street, they go to your church. And then like right when we moved in, this like couple showed up on our front door with like a plate of cookies and like they go to a Harvest Bible Church. I'm like, oh, you're done. You're surrounded, man. <laughs> it's all over for you. But like just in this neighborhood this guy moved into, the ripple effect of what these Christians are doing in their community has ripple effect out in such a way that when they hear the name of our church in a hospital room, they're like, hey, I, kn- I know that place. Not because our place is special, not because it has anything to do with our name. Because Jesus followers are living like Jesus followers in the midst of their neighborhood. Among, among unbelieving family members, hey, listen, straight up, right? Family can be some of the hardest people to love, right? Like, the people we love the most can be some of the hardest people to love. Ain't no one amen in that, but everyone want to, right? <laughs> it's just flat out. And you got these unbelieving family members who are just like, I'm just, I'm done with, I'm done with you. Like, how many times have I sat over and had the cup of coffee and I've told you, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Amongst our unbelieving family members, come on now, the people closest to us, the people who see the manifestations of the good, bad, and the ugly out of our life, do they look at our life and do they see Jesus emanating out of it? Do they, when we walk in the room, it's the fragrance of Christ coming from us. Got a little fired up there because there's some conviction in my life over that. Amongst your unbelieving friends, and I get it, I get it's got to look different. I love my bride's testimony of Jesus gripping her heart her freshman year of college, and it was like all that kind of a large group of that former friends that friend. It just like slowly starts to fall away, right? You have new priorities and a new life you're walking, and people aren't. But 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 then the impact with that friend group. It has to look different. You're probably not going the places you used to go with them and doing the things you used to do with them. But is there a general just fragrance of Christ that's coming out from you in such a way that the ripple effect of it is creating respect? Let's just ask it. Does my life create a ripple effect of respect among non-Christians? What you see here is the people, the Jewish, the Jewish people, they're looking on the apostles and they're saying, man, we, we hold those guys in high esteem. The people here is a reference to non-believers at the time. Now, uh, this second ripple effect, this second ripple effect is even more powerful here. Look at verse 14. Uh, Let me go back up to 13 so we read it in context. None of the rest dare join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And let's look what's going on among the people. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. All God's people say amen to that. More than ever, more than ever, believers are being added to the Lord here. And then it tells us multitudes, multitudes of both what? Of both men and women. 
More than ever, believers are being added to the Lord. People are watching on the Jesus community, uh, Jesus community, specifically in this passage, the leaders in the Jesus community. They're esteeming them greatly, and now more than ever, they're coming to legitimate faith in Jesus Christ. This is an important second question for us to be asking this morning. Are we seeing a ripple effect of unbelievers becoming believers? Are we seeing the ripple effect of unbelievers becoming believers? And uh, you want to hear something cool, church? It's a baptism Sunday here. We're going to get to hear those stories this morning. Seven people being baptized, sharing their faith with us, how they have turned their life to Jesus Christ. Are we seeing a ripple effect of unbelievers becoming believers? Now, uh, let's apply this question rightly. We don't save anyone, right? Come on now. We don't save anyone. There's our role in this. There's God's role in this. We cannot create revival in someone's heart. God must do that. God does the miracle of regeneration in a heart. Only he can do that. But we do have a role in this. More than ever, people are coming to know Jesus Christ because the apostles are doing what Acts 1-8, what Jesus said to them. Go be my witnesses. Go share this Jesus message. Go, go proclaim this gospel. And we... We will not see the ripple effect of unbelievers becoming believers unless we have, unless our greatest ripple effect is the ripple effect of the gospel coming out of our mouth. Unless we're telling others about this Savior, about this Jesus. And we have said this and we've seen this all through the book of Acts. It's a, it, I'm going to show you a slide here that we've showed, um, I think, at least one other time throughout this series. Why this is so important that we're not just living that respectable life and not telling people why we're living the respectable life, namely Jesus Christ, is because without the sharing, without the proclamation of the gospel, people just say, like, hey, what a great guy. We become the hero of our own biography. Ain't no one want that. Listen, we're bad heroes. No, I want to be the hero. No, you don't. It's miserable. What do you mean it's miserable? You were created for the glory of another. And if we don't proclaim the gospel and we just live respectable lives and everyone just looks at us and says, wow, what a great moral good guy or girl, it becomes about us. Um, to say it like this, showing minus telling is people think more highly of us. When we just are showing, showing um, the life of the gospel at work in us, when we're just living the respectable life, but we're not partnering that with the proclamation of Jesus alongside of it, people just go, what a great guy, what a great girl. Wow, they're awesome. I love them. Showing minus telling equals people just think more highly of us. But then there's this other side of this, telling, telling, repent. Do you love me? Not really. Just repent. Telling minus showing, people are confused. Let me tell you about the love of Jesus in your life. Um, do you love me? Telling without showing people, people are just confused at the discrepancy between the message and the life that we're living. What you see here is this ripple effect of more than ever, believers are being added to the Lord. Multitudes, multitudes of both men and women are coming to Jesus at this time. Are we having a ripple effect of unbelievers becoming 
believers today. Some of the baptism stories we get to hear today are just amazing stories of people, a part of this church, sharing the gospel and that God doing the regenerating work in the heart of that person of them becoming to know Jesus. Are we having the ripple effect? And so a ripple effect of, Christ, of our lives as Christians, as a life and in our church, should, we, should create respect among non-Christians. Uh, it should lead unbelievers to become believers. And then this third, this third point, I want to give it to you right up front here. And it's important. Do we have a ripple effect that attracts the hurting in need of healing? Do we have a ripple effect that attracts the hurting in need of healing? Where am I getting this? Look back at your Bibles. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, and then some kind of weird happens here. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, just get this image now. Just get this image. Hey, Larry, can you lay on the ground? I'm just kidding, man. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. I won't make you do it. I knew you would do it, too. But you get this image here that, that the, the apostles are held in such high esteem among those who don't even yet know Jesus. They're so greatly respected. They're seeing the signs and wonders. They're seeing the power of God at work through them in such a way that the people are like, let's bring out, the, the, like, this guy in our family who's been sick forever, let's bring him out. Let's bring out this guy who's possessed by this demon, spiritually oppressed. Let's bring him out. Let's lay him along the side of the road. Let's lay him along the side of the walkway. And maybe, just maybe, even as Peter walks by, his shadow might fall on him and they might be healed by God. That's, that's crazy. The, the, the respect of these non-Christians at this time and the... The, the scene keeps being painted here. Verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. They're traveling now. They gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing, bringing who? Who are they bringing? The sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all, say it aloud, they were all healed. Does the ministry the apostles are having right now resemble anyone else's ministry that sounds familiar to you? And that is Jesus. This is what you see over and over again through the Gospels. Jesus was attracting those deeply hurting in need of healing. He was attracting the sick. He was attracting the spiritually oppressed, those afflicted with demons. They're flocking to him. People who were so unlike Jesus were flocking to Jesus. And you see this same type of ministry now done by the apostles. The sick, the demon possessed, they're flocking to Jesus right now. There's an attraction of those who are hurting saying there's hope over there, there's healing over there, let's get over there. <laughs> the apostles had a ministry that looked like Jesus. We as the church of Jesus better have a ministry that looks like Jesus, amen? Um, this excites me, this gets my heart beating faster. But listen, church, this will make us uncomfortable. This will stretch us. I, I remember I led a missions trip, um, I don't know, four or five years ago um, to L.A. And part of the trip was we were going to be doing some ministry uh, in L.A. Um, 
um, on Skid Row. So you've probably heard of Skid Row, kind of the section of the city of LA that's just turned into the communi- a community of, of homeless um, men and women. Um, drugs are rampant. And I remember I was so excited. I was so excited for this aspect of the trip to be able to do ministry on LA Skid Row. And um, that excitement, like we load up from the place we were at and we're on the, in the vans, we're driving down into Skid Row and I'm so excited. The excitement quickly, um, well, the emotion quickly changed from excitement to the moment I stepped out of the van. Uh, just, you know, straight up. You just smacked in the face with the overwhelming smell of urine. Uh, the, the guy walking towards you is, is talking incoherently to himself in such a way that as you're going to pass on the sidewalk, you're a bit nervous about this. Erica's younger sister is with us on the trip. The comments being made to her are scaring both her and me because of my role to help protect her in this. Um, the, the, the excitement of the ministry on L.A. Skid Row, it quickly, it quickly moved into some discomfort, some uneasiness. Just being scared at moments. It was, uh, it was a little messier ministry than I'd ever been used to. But I don't know about you, but when you study the Gospels and when you look at the back book of Acts, they had a pretty messy ministry, didn't they? God, would you make our ministry a little more messy? And God, I don't even know what I'm asking right now. It'll be hard. It won't be neat and tidy. It won't fit into our nice little ministry boxes. It won't fit into our nice little homogenous suburban congregation here, right? But it'll reflect more of a ministry that you want us to have, Lord. And it'll make us uncomfortable and it'll stretch us. But don't you want this place to reflect a ministry that looks like that of Christ? Some of us do. Don't you want this place to reflect a ministry that looks more like Christ? And it gets us uncomfortable, yes. And we're like, what does this look like? You just study the Gospels and you study Acts and and there was a deep attraction of hurting people desperately in need of the healing of Jesus who flocked to the Christians. God, make that our story today. And we get that we don't even know what we're asking for. And now here's the thing, you know, the L.A. Skid Row thing is an extreme example to make the point. Um, living a life that, where Jesus flows out, it attracts those hurting in need of healing, doesn't always mean crossing over to the other side of the tracks. A lot of times it just means crossing the street. It actually just means like talking to the person next to you sitting in this church right here. There's a lot of hurting in need of healing right here in the midst, our midst right now, Amen. Like you've heard us talk about, and God's still working on it. You've heard us talk about like the inner city work among a poor neighborhood we want to get going up in Indianapolis. But, uh, there's some hurt and need of healing right here in our own community too, right? It's about the both and. It's about the both and. But you see this here, this, this attraction that the Jesus community has for the hurting and need of healing. Flat out, folks, here's what today's message is. Our lives as Christians should have a ripple effect among non-Christians. 
We agree with that? It should. It should. And all through this book of Acts that we're going to be studying, you're going to be seeing this, this, this back and forth between here's what's going on in the midst of the Jesus followers, and here's the impact it's having in the community, and here's uh, the radical unity and generosity among the Jesus followers, and here are all these unbelievers who are coming to know the Lord. It's a both and. You know, and now I'm going to go on a rant, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble, but that's, that's always fun, right? The church today... We have made too many decisions on we're going to be an attractional church and see people come to know Jesus. No, 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 no. We're going to be a deep church. And we're going to disciple people. Folks, it is not an either or. It is a both and. People should be coming to know Jesus. And people should be growing deep in that walk with Jesus. It is what God has intended his church to be from day one. It is not an either-or. Are you guys in an attractional church or are you a deep church? Um, both. Both. Did I get myself in trouble there at all? All right. Amen. We got to have a life. By the power of the Spirit of God, okay, right? We don't just go out of here now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work harder to live a life that ripple effects out among unbelievers. No, no. God, would your spirit work in such a way in my life? that your son becomes a fragrance that emanates from me in a way that edifies believers and attracts unbelievers. I want that. You want that? You want to hear something cool? Seven people today have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're about to get in some water and be baptized to show all of us that reality. And if you've never been to a baptism service at Harvest Bible Chapel, here's the deal. These are big deals to us. Um, we, I was sitting in Starbucks early yesterday morning, and a guy walked in, and he had mobile ordered his, his coffee, and he walks up to, the, uh, he walks up to the, the counter there, and he's like, hey, guys. He, he, knew, he knew the priest. Hey, guys, so good to see you. He didn't have a voice. And he's like, I was at the Pacers game last night. How about that game Friday, by the way, right? Um, he's like, I was at the Pacers game last night. I'm like, okay, here's a guy, snapshot this. This is going to be told to the church tomorrow. Here's a guy who was at a basketball game. And I'm a sports guy, okay, but he's at a basketball game. Let's just break it down to like its lowest common enough. It was, it, was, it was guys really good at dribbling a round orange ball and putting it into a basket, right? That's what it was. And this, this, this grown adult man, he did not have a voice over the zeal in which he was cheering about this sport. There are people who are about to get in that place right there who Jesus Christ has radically changed. Their old creation is gone. He's made them a new creation. And they're getting in front of us today and they're saying, I'm Christ. I'm Christ. And so there's one rule on Baptism Sundays here around Harvest. Golf claps are completely inappropriate. Wow, great. Really great. On your, like, it should be on your feet. Scream. Let's, like, sometimes I think the church needs to, like, sometimes the world celebrates things that are just absolutely abhorrent to God and the church doesn't know how to things doesn't know how to celebrate things that the angels are going nuts about in heaven right now. Y'all ready for this? Let's do it. Let's do it.